My guest on this week's episode of Susan Search is Amanda Milligan, head of marketing at Stacker. This is Amanda's second appearance on the show. She's one of my favorite guests. Amanda is an in-demand conference speaker who frequently presents on topics related to digital PR and link building. We filmed this episode shortly after she returned from PubCon Austin. Amanda recently published a white paper about what publishers want. The findings were based on independent research Amanda and the team at Stacker performed. What kind of content gets picked up most by journalists? How do you quantify the SEO value of getting a piece of content picked up by hundreds of publications? Why is Amanda giving away all of this information for free? I'm going to ask her these questions and many more. Grab something cold to drink and join me for a conversation with Amanda Milligan. We'll talk about why superlatives reign supreme. We'll spend a little time chatting about why independent research is invaluable in a world with AI-generated content. And I'll finish our conversation talking to her about her participation in the Women in Tech SEO group. All right. Amanda Milligan, our returning champ. You, uh, you're back. Welcome back. Uh, welcome to Sesame Search. How have you been doing? I'm great. I was so excited to see the invite. I was like, I get to chat marketing, drink a nice <laughs> beer. Last time I was on, we recorded in the morning, so I was drinking tea. So this is actually the first time I'm having a beer on this show, which just feels it feels right, you know. It's so, it's so lame when it's in the morning and or I uh, not drinking a beer with the person. So this feels like the right time of day. Um. We were talking off camera. You just gotten back from Austin and PubCon. How was the show? How was it being back at PubCon? It's like it's not I think they had the Florida one, but there hasn't been many PubCons in the last few years. So I was excited to get back. Yeah, it was it was great. It was the first speaking gig I've had this year, so that felt good to just oh. be around people. I work I don't just work from home since COVID. I've worked from home like for eight years and I love being at these events. It's just so much fun to talk to people you know, after I give a presentation and hear like what their day to day is like and connect with them outside of marketing, it was it was really fun to to see everybody again too. So uh, very grateful to get to go. Well, it's a, yeah, it's a great event. I am not going to miss another one. I did miss that one, but I I uh, it allowed me to catch up on some reading. So I uh, I want to talk to you about this incredibly impressive white paper produced by you and uh, maybe the team at Stacker, but. The article is about what publishers want. So I think before we dive into the white paper and the specifics and all that, it'd be a, just for, for anyone who's an affiliated, a quick reminder about what you guys do at, at Stacker, Stacker Studios, and maybe explain why you have access to such good information. Sure, yeah. So Stacker is a media company. It has a newsroom and a newswire, so we create all kinds of newsworthy stories, and we syndicate them out to more than 3,300 publishers across North America. Uh, Stacker Studio is our brand partnership arm, so brands work with us. We create stories on their behalf, and we syndicate them out through our network. These are all earned pickups, though, so this isn't kind of like when you hear the word syndication, people assume it's sponsored, you know, they get like sponsored links or no-follow links. This is all follow links, all earned media that we're getting. So the fascinating part for me and others, but I so I wanted to create this report because for the first time in my career, when I joined Stacker, we had access to the kind of the backend data of every story that we've sent through the wire and who picked up each story and how many times each of those stories were picked up. So at the end of last year, I was like, I got to do like this is just too valuable to sit on like i find it fascinating so i know that other marketers would find it fascinating and anybody who works in 
like the link earning or media earning sphere, digital PR sphere, love this kind of stuff because it's just really valuable to know. You know, we, we send all this different type of content out, whether it's like the methodology or the topic, and to see which ones are actually wanted more by these different news sites to me was super fascinating. So that, that was the impetus for putting that together was having all this information that I, I it was just sitting there. It was just part of what we do. So I dove into it myself. I looked at different categorizations. I was looking at what trends I could see. And, uh, you know, some of it we had suspected already, but it was really good to have the data behind it. Well, I, I think the, the idea is something like this. So many, for many SEOs and digital PR professionals, we're, they're attempting to connect with journalists. You are giving away some of the secrets to actually breaking through and getting recognized. The white paper is free. We'll link to it in the show notes. But, you know, like, why are you giving away your secrets? This is this is uh, very generous of you. But, like, now everyone knows some of your secrets. What, what was the thought behind that? Well, the core of the company's mission is empowering the world's publishers. Mm -hmm. So really the goal of the company is to make publishers help them be more sustainable, but just to improve the quality of content across the board. So it wouldn't be, wouldn't be toward our mission to keep all this stuff to ourselves, right? Like we want, it's really interesting to anybody who makes content to see what has been interesting. Cause when a publisher decides what they want to put on their site, they're essentially deciding what they think their readers would like, right? Like that they are, the gateway to larger audiences. So we want everybody, we want brands who don't work for us to create better content, right? Like we want everybody to be creating content that people want to read. So it was, it was exciting to be able to share it. I love talking about it too. Awesome. Well, I'm, again, I'm going to get into the specifics in a minute, but the other thing I wanted to ask you about is throughout the white paper, you mentioned that a specific article or a headline, you'll show a headline, you'll say this got picked up, X number of times. So it'll be like, this one got picked up 400 times. At the risk of sounding like a newbie, I wanted to make sure I understand the full benefit of all those pickups. Like, I think in terms of links and SEO and yeah. the activity that I'm really interested yeah. in is pretty much the links. If I, uh, if I produce a piece of content and it's published word for word on 450 different publications, how does Google evaluate that? What, what do they look at? Is there some sort of dampening effect on uh, 449 of those? Or how do they view, are each of those links uh, valuable to a company? Yeah, great question, a common question. So one of the things that was fascinating was actually, we're doing a lot of internal case studies to prove this out. We have some really cool preliminary results about how this is making dramatic changes to folks' organic growth. What we were debating was, is it the link or is it the canonical? Because, and this is something that not a lot of people kind of like talk about or really dive into, but to your question, yes, a lot of people come to, to and partner with us because of the SEO benefits, because they are follow links. So you're getting, mm -hmm. in some of those cases, 400 follow links from these sites. But the version of the story that we create, whether for ourselves, so some stories, we're, we're just, we still create stories like on behalf of Stacker. Uh, but if we create them on behalf of a brand, they live on the brand site and then we syndicate them and then we send it out through our newswire. But the canonical points back to the 
brand's version of the story. And for those who don't know, canonicals are basically telling Google where the original version of a story is if it's republished more than once so that they know who to attribute all that work to. So imagine, I, I tried to, when I first heard about this, I was also like, how does this work? But when I thought about it, even from just like a general common sense perspective, I was like, okay, if Chicago Tribune decided to fully republish something that I did, right. maybe it is the canonical that is pointing so much authority back to my site. So I guess in our model is a little unique in that it's both the canonical and the link, but in either case, it's a signal to Google that this really respected site mm -hmm. is choosing to either fully republish or talk about something that you did. So absolutely there's value in that, right? Like right. the way that tools pick it up could might be different, you know, like sometimes it'll, the canonical might look a little funky on the back end. But I can't imagine how it wouldn't be valuable for all of these extremely respected, well, you know, read. These aren't just like random sites. These are sites that are actually read by people, you know, republishing your stuff. But the same goes for digital PR. Like if, you, if you're pitching and you get a link back, that's also what it's signaling. It's that they trust what you wrote, right? And that's why people do that type of work. I love it. Well, let's get into actual findings now. So the first takeaway that you have, and we looked at the 500 most popular articles, was that the we you looked at them and then I read your review. Uh, the, the first takeaway is that the extremes make for interesting stories. So people like to know the best, the worst, the most expensive, the least expensive, and so on and so forth. Uh, but there's a caveat. It has to be based on data. So let's unpack both of those concepts if you could. Like The first is that superlatives reign supreme. But also, yep. it only really works if you've got some data to back it up. Explain that for me. Yeah, so I think we've all seen our fair share of list-based articles. And I think that the more subjective ones have run their course. <laughs> I think in the era of BuzzFeed and all those, they used to perform extremely well, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that there's less of an appetite for subjective content, unless it's from like a real thought leader that people already trust. Uh, there's less of an appetite for that and more of an appetite for still those list-based articles that are rankings or revealing deeper insights because they were based on a data set. Like data, every time somebody's starting to do this type of work, I think data is the shortcut mm -hmm. because it is inherently useful to take factual data and analyze it in a way that hasn't been analyzed before. But there is just something in the human condition where we want to know how everything compares to one another, right? Like we want to know, we don't just want to know like what's a decent place for me to go get a coffee this morning. We want to know the best places and then we want to know the worst so that we avoid them, right? Like we just, there's, there's a fascination around, like you said, the best, the worst, the um, least expensive and most expensive. Like if you think about superlatives, it could be really any adjective, you know, on either side of the scale and we just have found over and over again that that performs extremely well like that's what people want to see but yes it can't just be like my personal favorite coffee shops that could do well on like a blog or something but when it comes to the news they're like okay what is, who's amanda and why do we care what her favorite coffee shops are or like this other random writer for a different blog it's like if you want earned media you need to be coming up with like evidence-based conclusions 
And those types of rankings do super well. And they also lead to a lot of conversation, too. Like, you can't help, if you have an opinion on what the article is about, you can't help but looking to see if, if you're validated or not, or if the article disagrees with you. <laughs> I completely agree with this. And this is, kind of, this is kind of my question. So another big, so another big part is localization. You bring this, I've mentioned this often, so this makes yeah. perfect sense to me, right? You say that people want to know if their state or a state they're thinking about moving to is featured on a list. So I, I, this is, I want to make sure I'm not overgeneralizing, but it seems to me like a lot of these tips, if I didn't have access to the report, but like a lot of these tips are about having empathy for the reader and the reader's own selfish interests. Is that fair to say? Like they're, they're, you're, you're kind of playing on their selfishness a little bit, isn't that? Uh, I think that one of the common phrases in marketing, at least a couple of years ago, was ego, yeah. uh, you know, focus content. I mean, that's it. That's that's just how it goes. Right. Like people want to it's not ego kind of makes it sound negative, but yeah. we want to see ourselves reflected in content. We want to see how we fit into the world. We want to see how we fit into this data. So if you can't see yourself reflected in it in any way, then you're not really going to care as much that's just that is kind of just how humanity operates and one of the slides i had at pubcon was basically showing like if you can localize by country all right if you can localize by state that's that's interesting if you can localize by city or zip you have people's attention yeah. and if you can do neighborhood for whatever reason you're definitely gonna have their yeah. their their full attention because it's been one of the most pivotal news values forever. Like if you, if you just look at how actual reporters and journalists decide what is newsworthy or not, localization and pride, I learned it in school as proximity was always key. You mm -hmm. can take a national story and localize it and it's more compelling to somebody than it was on the national level because it's more relevant to them and like literally their physical space and the people around them. So yes, like the, the ego thing, absolutely works i think that demographics really play to that mm. it's the geography but it's also that's why people talk about age so much and different generations mm. you know like that type of stuff where you can see in the different categories you're like oh that's me it's the same reason why people take those those quizzes about like you know what breakfast pastry am I? <laughs> like everyone's just trying to identify who they are and they do it through content and, and through news and through data as well I love that. I, I mean, the, the next thing I want to talk about, you, you mentioned this type of content that performed well, and it, it was a significant percentage of the top 500 are, are what you called explainers. So explainers, I thought were interesting. And, you know, I don't know if you know this, but we're actually contractually obligated to mention chat GBT with every guest on the show at this time. <laughs> Like the topic that I can't avoid, no matter what. Um, and so this is the part of the show where we will drop it in here. But it, it's hard for me to imagine ChatGPT doing this kind of work, these kind of explainer articles. It requires independent research. So the explosion of AI-generated content, that's interesting. I'm interested in what, you know, I'm more interested now in what's difficult to replicate, right? It seems like to be ahead of the game, a good tactic is to generate some independent data or some research that only you could get. Um, and, and you can use that. You can use that to do different things. You don't have to do it, but explainers are one example of how you could use that research. Is that fair to say? 
Yeah, I think the something that Chat GT I always say GTP. I don't know what it is about my brain. Chat GPT uh, can't do is the prompt itself. Yes. I, you the the human being has to decide what right. questions do I have about this data or what questions do I have about this story, right? Uh, that is so much of what we're doing when we're coming up with content. We're not breaking news. News news happens and journalists cover that news. But when it comes to explainers, and you know, we also think about this as just contextualizing, is what is happening here that maybe is not on the surface level? Or what other interesting trends or connections can we draw? And having the human touch of being able to look at that, and even if you were to use AI and you're going to prompt them with all these questions that you came up with, it's still up to a human being to say, is that interesting? Is that different? What does that mean? What does that, you know, what does that comparison actually mean? So I'm not going to say that, yeah, it's not like it's not at all helpful, but I, an explainer still needs the finesse of the deeper understanding of what is actually happening underneath the surface. And there are so many different questions that can get you there. You know, you can take the historical perspective of like, how has this evolved over time? Like, why did it evolve that way? You can compare it to other similar or different things to draw conclusions about, you know, the, the financial aspect of it or the cultural impacts. I mean, there's just so many different ways you can go, but it takes the person looking at it and kind of self-prompting, like, what are the different things I can dig into here? Yeah. Well, so interesting. I, I, I love everything you said there. I think it's, uh, that's spot on. I, I want to talk about one more thing from the report, and then I'm going to ask you a left question on left field, and then we'll get into some other stuff. So, um, Sounds great. You know, one of the things I learned, I, w- I would not have thought this had I never read this report, is that you have a pie chart that listed a breakdown of the top 500 stories by vertical. So I would have thought, I don't know, politics would have been an obvious choice to be the most popular, and maybe business or sports or something like that. No, by far. Almost double the next most popular was entertainment. You say that entertainment is, well, entertaining. Why do these pieces work so well? And then I want to make sure we get the advice from the article, which is if you're not even in entertainment, um, yeah, how can you leverage the popularity of those entertainment articles, even if you don't work in or write about enter- the entertainment industry? This was interesting to me, too. And I had to I took the top 500 and uh, I had to make sure that this was an accurate claim because maybe we also just produced a lot of entertainment stories since we kind of already suspected that they performed well. We saw the real time data coming in, but then I looked at the top 100 stories and it had almost the same percentage breakdown. So not only were they the top in the 500, but they were the top in the top 100. So I was like, all right, it's not just about volume anymore. We're looking at it in two different perspectives and it's still showing up. Entertainment in this case, a lot of it's television, music, movies, I think there's something about it where A, it's universal, uh, but B, it's it's the creative side of life. Like the, the entertainment side of things, it's usually very popular, right? It's stuff you can connect with other people on. It is part, it goes back to like what we were saying about identity and like we really, the things that we do like and care about in entertainment, they mean something to us and they become parts of our identity. 
these are all just get this is me guessing as to why entertainment does so well what we saw is in the data is that it does <laughs> like that's what we know and uh definitely in the in the report I, I always find that marketers can get a little discouraged when they hear that, though, because it's like, I don't work in like a sexy vertical. I don't, you know, some people are in like manufacturing or they're in yeah. medical or they're in insurance. And they're like, how do I, that doesn't mean anything to me that, that entertainment yeah. does well. And sure, your bottom of the funnel content is not going to talk about entertainment content, but we don't deal in bottom of the funnel content. We deal in top of the funnel content. We deal in earning coverage that is more tangential and because the goal is not to convert the goal is to drive awareness and the goal is to get authority uh by being mentioned in these newspapers but also google seeing that they're like through links and canonicals that they are trusting you and what you're doing so there's a lot of you think of it always as a Venn diagram. If you literally wanted to like write a Venn diagram down with your industry in one circle and entertainment in the other, it's what's in between the two. Then the overlap is what you should be producing if this is your objective. I think one of the examples I had in there was like one of our health-related clients did, you know, the, the best medical shows or like what medical shows get wrong, right? So yeah. is it about the medical field? Well, not not entirely. Cool. It's really entertainment, right? Yeah. It's an entertainment bend, but... It's not so distant that they're like, why the hell are you talking about, you know, like the Emmys or something like that. So the overlaps are often key. Yeah. I think that there's, well, I don't, I can't imagine anything where there's no entertainment overlap at all. And I also, when you don't have to do it all the time, right? Like that doesn't mean that all the content you have produced has to be entertainment, but it's worth a brainstorm to see if there's something you've missed. And the same goes for the other uh top topics you know um i don't have it do i have it pulled up let me see well all, um, I, all I can think about while i'm sitting here is how everybody's gonna make a venn diagram with seo agency <laughs> and then entertainment and try and figure out right. <laughs> <laughs> i mean there have been you know what like yeah right off the top of my head when you do that what like something that comes to mind is like how Super Bowl ads have changed the way people search or like yeah. how people have utilized yeah. organic, like whatever. And that's, I, right. I'm not even saying that's a good idea, but like those types of overlaps. So like business and real estate are the next two categories. Same applies. If you don't work in business or you don't work in real estate, those are still, business is very broad, right? right. But right. everybody is impacted in one way or another by their finances, by the companies that they engage with, you know, same with, uh, education i think is fourth and real estate like everybody lives somewhere they care about the rental market they care about the housing market maybe there's something about like how many jobs are in your industry in a certain place or how like overlaps that is if i were to put that advice in one word it's overlaps it's think about how what you do in a general sense applies and and touches all these other different topics because there's there's a lot of value if you're able to do that. Well, awesome. Well, I, I mentioned that there's going to be a, on a left field question. Here's what it is. This, this isn't in the report, but I'm curious if you studied the worst performing 500 articles to see what we absolutely shouldn't do, or if there's anything that, that you learned that was like, not don't do that or any rules of thumb that would be <laughs> uh, moving forward. interesting. I did not do that. But now I might. <laughs> um, uh, I'm 
the top of my head, I don't know. I mean, I don't think there's anything you absolutely shouldn't do yeah. based on, you know, the stories that we put out. Mainly, again, we're lucky because we have more access to publishers than most people do. You know, right. we have partnerships with some publishers who are literally telling us what they want. Mm. Um, you know, that's cool. If you're, if you're super, yeah, it, like it has been really valuable. I was like, I can still, I just keep thinking of things that work. Like the things that work really well are, um, if it doesn't entertain, it better provide some sort of like a, a day-to-day value. Like mm. this thing, they, what they call it in, I learned this phrase upon joining Stacker service journalism. And it's almost like the how to's of the marketing world in journalism mm. uh, is becoming, we've seen success with those types of stories. So in my mind, it's like either it needs to be explaining something or it needs to be entertaining you. <laughs> and if it's not doing either of those, it's probably not going to really go anywhere, which might sound obvious, but you probably would read some content and be like, yeah, this isn't really doing either of those things for me. Um, but I might have to take a look at that. We uh, That is fascinating. All right. That's uh, I, that, my crazy brain. So uh, last thing, and this is actually from your PubCon presentation, but there's this thing when you're, when you're doing digital PR that I get secondhand anxiety about, which is timeliness. So what's happening now? Like no one is reading an article about our favorite Christmas recipe. It's March, right? It sounds like planning is important. You had some really great examples, like in the slides I looked at of timeliness in your presentation. How does this manifest itself? Like people who are doing digital PR, how do you, uh, how do you organize your, your, your content? How do you make sure you're ahead of the game so that you're taking advantage of, uh, of things when they are timely? Yeah, it's a great question because we are marketers. We're not journalists usually. Sometimes journalists come and they do marketing, and that's awesome. Um, but re- regardless, we're probably not breaking news. That's not generally what we're doing, right? Uh, so instead of breaking news, which is usually what people think of when they think of timely, it's like literally something that's happening right now, you kind of tie it to what I was saying before with the contextualizing, is you're doing like a complimentary story about a timely event. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, the way that we refer to that is like a news peg. There are news pegs that we know are going to happen every year. Holidays are the most obvious. But then you also have like major sporting events. Uh, anything in your industry, maybe there's like a conference, maybe there's like whatever it is that you know is going to happen. And it either is just only happening this year or it happens regularly. Building out a calendar of those things and asking yourself what, maybe like three months out, asking yourself, what could I complement this topic with what can, like context can I add to then promote maybe a month before because that's when people start to care about you know that time that's when they're planning out their editorial calendars so thinking about news pegs you t- think about the, the the top level ones because it's the same with entertainment even if you I mean most people don't have a brand around holidays it's a rare thing but right. holidays still you know, everybody's running freaking sales and stuff. It's not like we ignore holidays in marketing, but, you know, having that calendar of like the holidays, we did a lot of things around like the Olympics, women's history month, like whatever it is, whatever those recurring things are making that calendar for yourself, but also looking at your industry generally, you don't want to get super niche, but if there's anything else happening that feels topical 
for your brand. And then at least two to three months out planning content that you're going to promote one month out uh, that will complement it. Because we've actually heard feedback from, we had direct feedback from a publishing partner about how a story that we did that complemented one of their hard news stories about the opioid crisis. Actually, they were, they got a lot of engagement on our story. And what they did was they leveraged that to try to get more traffic to the original breaking, Mm. like the more hard news story. So it all goes back to thinking about the publisher and thinking about the writer and the editor. And it's like, this isn't just, we can think about the content we're creating, we're sending it out, it gets placed, great. But we're actually have to think about the impacts of these things and why they want our content. And what they're trying to do a lot of the time is leverage what you're creating for them to continue to get engagement and traffic on their site and point it to those other stories that are similar to the ones that we do, like at Stacker, for example, that might cover the harder news, you know, that maybe multiple journalists reported on, for example. So there's a lot of room to jump on those kind of trends or recurring events. You just have to have, as you alluded to, the foresight to do it. I love that. Well, awesome. Well, I want to point out to our audience one other thing about Stacker. You guys are sponsoring, as my research uh, was wrong. You guys are sponsors of Women in Tech SEO. Tell yes. Stacker's involvement in your own personal involvement in Women in Tech SEO. Yes. For any female identifying uh, listeners, you should definitely sign up for Women in Tech SEO. It's uh, run by this fantastic woman, Arij, and she put this community together. It's a Slack group. It's a newsletter. It's a database of all these women who want to be writers. It's like just a wonderful, supportive community. I cannot say enough good things about it. I told a lot of people at PubCon about it. Uh, <laughs> and they've they've done events in the UK, but right. this year they're doing their first ever US event, and that's, that's what we're cool. sponsoring, and I'm very excited, and I cannot wait to go. So I highly encourage anybody, you know, all the women out there, like, sign up. It's free. If you just Google Women in Tech SEO, you'll see you just fill out a form to join the Slack group. And I, I, I'm promoting this only because I think it's awesome. Like I'm not getting anything out of this. Yeah. It's awesome. And there's very few other groups that I'm in where people are so supportive and so willing to help and so quick to respond. So it was, it's really fun as a marketer to be able to pick things that you really care about to, to sponsor and to, and to be a part of, I'm really looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, Amanda, you're pretty awesome yourself. I, Always enjoy having you on. We'll have to do this again soon, um, but I'm out of time. So yeah, I'm going to give you a virtual cheers for now. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for the research. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Susan Search. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks so much, Mark. It's been a pleasure.